Hey there, welcome to this Real Life Church podcast where we are making our way through the New City Catechism. The New City Catechism is 52 questions and answers with scripture, and I am doing this podcast just to offer a bit of commentary for each of the questions and answers. Um, now, you might, be, you might wonder, why do a catechism? In fact, some people have kind of a negative reaction to a catechism, and um, oftentimes it's because they, they remember when they were kids and maybe had to go through a catechism at church, and it was, it was nothing more than just rote memory, or maybe they had friends that went through a catechism at a particular church, and, and it didn't seem to make any difference in their friends' lives. Their friends were, were, did not love Christ. They were, lived ungodly lives and so forth. And, and so it's like, well, why are we doing this catechism? Does it really matter? Is it, uh, you know, is it even possibly dangerous because it, it can give someone a false assurance that if they know certain truths in their head, then um, then they're in good shape. And, and that's a fair enough question. I think it's, it's certainly worthy to, to think about and talk about that. Um, certainly, you know, we don't want to go through the New City Catechism in that sort of way. We don't want it just to be something we can check off and say, we did that. We know the questions and answers. We're good to go. Um, rather, we want to we want to approach the catechism like it has been historically in a more robust and serious and God-honoring way where we certainly take serious um, the, the attempt or the effort to, to memorize the questions and answers in the scripture, but more importantly, where we get the truth of these things deep inside of us, where it's uh, branded on our souls and begins to shape and form our mind and our hearts as we seek to live faithful lives for Christ in this world. The catechism or confession has been used historically in this way, and it's been used uh, to great benefit for families and for churches. And uh, a catechism is, is, or confession, I'm kind of using these interchangeably, though there's some difference, but, but, but they're not to take the place of the Bible. No way. I mean, we, we want to be students of the Bible. The benefit of a catechism, one like the New City Catechism, is that it can um, help to systematize what the Bible teaches. It can help to, in a concise way, lay out the doctrines of the Christian faith, what Christians have always believed. And I think that's of great benefit for a church, for a family, uh, to say these are the things we believe. We are we are committed to these truths. We believe these things. And even more so in a, at a time when there's such confusion, such and and lots of deception, to to have to uh, to come back to the orthodox beliefs of the Christian faith and be rooted and grounded in these things is a safeguard for us. And I would also say it is this. It can be the source of great joy. Jesus said, I say these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. In other words, Jesus said, my words can produce joy in you. And so that's my hope is that these truths would get into us and be a source of certainly thinking right and having our hearts worship God appropriately, but also a source of great joy. So with that, we are on question number three. Question number three 
is this. How many persons are there in God? How many persons are there in God? The answer is there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. This this question and answer really goes to the to the nature and character of God as triune or the triunity of God. The Bible teaches there is one God, no doubt, it teaches over and over again one God and three co-equal, coexistent persons. Co-equal in that they're equal in their glory and power and authority and coexistent. They've, they've existed together for all eternity. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit and so forth. And yet, they are one in essence. Of course, this is a great mystery that we cannot plumb the full depths of. And therefore, we should never go beyond what the scriptures teach. We should affirm all that the scriptures teach on this, but never go beyond what the scriptures teach. Of course, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. You won't find the word triune in the Bible. You will look in vain in a concordance to try to find either one of these words. And so some say, well, that's just a made-up teaching then. The Trinity is a made-up teaching because it's not in the Bible. But of course, that's not the way we do theology. Reading through the scriptures, Christians for centuries have understood the truth of the Trinity by deduction. Let me explain. The Bible makes the claim over and over and over again that there is one God. There is one God, not three. There's one God, not a hundred. There's one God, not a million or not 300 million like the Hindus teach or not an infinite number of gods like Mormons believe. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And there are many other such passages we could turn to. But then there are texts that say that the Father is God. For instance, Titus 1 verse 2. There are other passages that claim that Jesus is God. For instance, Titus 2 verse 13. There are many others, but Titus 2 verse 13 is certainly one of them. And other passages that claim that the Holy Spirit is God. For instance, Acts chapter 5 verses 3 and 4. Now, some have then made the error saying, okay, yeah, there's one God, and yeah, we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but really, this is just one God and one person manifesting himself in different modes. He, he's, he's God. He's one person. Sometimes he manifests himself as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Holy Spirit. This is the error of modalism. But it doesn't work. And here's why. Because there are times when all three persons are on the scene at the same time. For instance, at the baptism of Jesus. We see Jesus go into the River Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. And as he comes up out of the water, we see the, fo- we see the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus, the Son of God. And we hear the word of affirmation from the Father when he says, this is my beloved son 
with whom I am well pleased. Or think of the time when Jesus is praying in John 17 in what is called the high priestly prayer. Who is he praying to? Well, he addresses Father. He addresses, he addresses his prayers to the Father. So is he praying to himself and just calling himself by another name? Well, of course not. He is praying to the Father, a unique person in the Godhead. In a day where there is a big emphasis on being Christ-centered and gospel-centered, we need to remember the centrality of the Trinity in the Christian faith. The Christian faith certainly is Christ-centered and gospel-centered, but even more fundamentally and beautifully, it is Trinitarian. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed for all time, for all eternity, in perfect harmony, perfect unity, and perfect happiness. The creation, all the cosmos, and everything in it was not made in order to fulfill something that God lacked. In the act of creation, and especially in creating human beings in his image, God shared his life with his creatures. What an amazing thought. God shared the overflowing life that he possesses in himself with his creatures and, of course, the height of his creation with human beings made in his image. Furthermore, the Father, Son, and Spirit in the work of redemption are working in harmony to redeem lost sinners. One of my favorite New Testament passages makes this plain and clear. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So right here you see God the Father sending the Son on a mission. The Son comes. He's born of a woman, born under the law, perfectly obeys the law, never sins, goes to the cross as an atoning sacrifice, rises from the dead, all of this in order to redeem us as children of God. And then the Father sends his Spirit into our hearts, so that from our hearts we cry, Abba, Father, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, shares his sonship with us, and we cry, Abba, Father, to our dear Father in heaven. This is the glorious doctrine of the Trinity. There are three persons in one true and living God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And this leads us to the scripture for this question and answer. And it's a Trinitarian benediction or blessing at the end of 2 Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.